when you made the choices, right? And have you also noticed that sometimes choices other people make affect you, just like the choices that you make oftentimes affect other people? That's because we live in connectivity, relationships with one another. And so it's important, my friends, for you and I to understand that as we live in this world of rapid-fire change, this weekend, this summer, we're going to hopefully learn how to live our lives adjusting to change the way God would want us to adjust to change. Living our lives making the choices that God would want to lead us in making and living our lives in relationship maybe like never before. That's why I want to invite you this summer to consider being part of a summer connections group. Uh, there are going to be groups that will be geographical, so there will be a group near you in whatever town you live. There will be summer-only groups, so it's just for the duration of the summer, and we'll, with all of our travel and so on, only meet five or six times through the summer. But the purpose of the groups is so that you can build friendships and relationships with one another, that you can be on a journey of doing life together. You'll learn more a lot about each other, and then so we'll spiritually grow together. As you see, this summer, we're going to be reading God's Word, as we do every summer, two chapters a day. And so in your worship folder and out at the Welcome Center, there's a scripture reading list. Two chapters a day, and I'll do my best to coordinate our weekend messages with where you are reading each weekend at that time. The Digging Deeper that I always write for you, they're here, they're on our, on our website as well, will also be guiding you through the chapters that you read we're going to work our way through a good chunk of the Bible, 200 chapters in God's Word this summer. I hope you'll be an important part of it. And this year, instead of one book that we'll read this summer, I asked our staff to make recommendations. So we have nine different books available for you to choose from for a summer reading book. Now, for some of you, one book might be just about enough, but there are some voracious readers among us, and let's see if we can get through all nine of them. We'll buy them in quantity, so we'll have them all through the summer here at the Welcome Center. As you may know, uh, several months ago, a dear widow friend who lives hundreds of miles away from here, but has visited us a couple of times, very generously gave us a, a gift that has enabled us to purchase some cameras and now project our uh, live stream on the internet, on our website, our weekend worship services every weekend. So if you're traveling, wherever you are, you're going to be able to stay connected with us. One of our theme verses this year forms the underlying foundation of our summer 100 days. I wonder if you would say it with me. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. So, you ready? Shall we leap into the summer together? Let's do that. And I'll dismiss the children to some wonderful adults who are ready for them, the little ones up through grade four. And I'll invite you to open your copy of God's Word with me. We're going to be taking a look at two of the fairly famous people today in the Old Testament. An uncle and a nephew, Abraham and his nephew Lot. We find them first at the very end of Genesis chapter 11. And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, there should be one there under the chair in front of you. Genesis chapter 11. It tells us there that Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans. Where in the world is Ur of the Chaldeans? 
May I suggest Ur was the New York City of its day. It was one of the premier cities of the world. As you can see, it's located down where the Euphrates River spills out into the Persian Gulf. In those days, archaeologists tell us the Persian Gulf reached much further north. It was a cosmopolitan city, a business city, an educational city, a city of entertainment and the arts, and a city of worship. Although nobody there worshipped Jehovah God. He was unknown to them. That's why the first verse of chapter 12 is so important. The Lord God had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. We don't know exactly when he did that, but evidently he told his daddy, Terah, about this vision or dream or epiphany that he had had, that God had spoken to him. And so dad and son agreed, We need to leave Haran. And they traveled 600 miles north along the Euphrates River to Haran. But God had told him to go to Canaan, modern-day Israel. He said he would lead them to the place that he had prepared for them. But they stayed there in Haran, and it tells us there at the end of chapter 11, Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Choices. We all make them, and choices result in changes. How many of you in this room have ever moved from one place to another? You packed up all your belongings, and you drove down the road, and you settled in another town. Yeah, so you know what that feels like. They had left the, the hometown of their ancestry 600 miles and stopped off in Haran for a while. How many years, we don't know, but here's my question. Abram had heard very clearly from God, go to the land I will show you, and he had not said, stop in Haran. This is where I want you. But Daddy had decided, we'll stop here for a while. What do you do? when you need to make wise choices but your parents are making wrong choices. Choices always affect change. How do I honor my parents when my parents are making wrong choices? May I suggest that's what Abram was facing. God had not said stop, but Daddy had stopped. Evidently, they chose to stay there until Daddy died, honoring his parents, but then was soon ready to pack up and go because it tells us there in chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, God was saying. Do you see the promises, the covenant promise? I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's choices of reaching to us affect change for us and other people. God had initiated Abram. This is what I would like to do in you and through you and for the world. Now, how have we, the world, been blessed through this covenant promise? Well, as you know, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob became the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and clearly our world has been greatly blessed by that nation of people, right? It was to that nation of people that God's word was given and then shared with us, Gentiles. It was into that heritage line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants that Jesus, the Christ, was born, bringing to our world salvation, right? Every year, thousands and thousands of people travel to Israel to see these places of the Bible, and they are greatly blessed. Oh, yes, God's promise did, in fact, come true over and over and in our day. So, how has God blessed you personally and your family through this covenant promise to Abraham? Hmm? Verse 4 says, So 
Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took with him his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there, modern-day Israel. Abram traveled throughout the land, and it says in verse 7 that the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. A worship relationship is starting between Abram and Jehovah God, the one true living God. God is beginning uh, to develop a pattern. He is speaking regularly to Abram. A relationship of trust is building. Abram has now followed him hundreds of miles to go to a place that he had no idea where he was going because he trusted God. How's that relationship developing for you? Huh? You see, the choice to follow God's invitation will bring change. My family and I are here in this place, in this town, because of a choice to follow God's invitation. He had said to us when we were in Fargo, North Dakota, come with me, I'm leading you to Williams Bay at your invitation. Years before, he had said to us, follow me, I'm taking you to Haiti. He's now saying the same to our daughter and son-in-law. How many of you in this room believe that you are where you are, you live where you live, you work where you work, you're in the college or the university where you are because you've responded to God's invitation, follow me. And isn't it a wonderful thing to know? I I'm here in this set of circumstances. I'm here in these relationships because God has led me here. The choice to follow God's invitation will bring change into your life. You would expect that it's always going to be wonderful, right? <laughs> so look back at the footprints of your life. What have you seen in the journey of your life as you have, to the best of your ability, responded to God's invitation to follow him? For Abram, look at verse 10. Now there was famine in the land. Now wouldn't you suppose that Abram probably took a couple of strolls outside his tent and looked up and said, God, something's wrong here. I heard you clearly. I followed you several hundred miles. It seems to me the least you could do is provide enough food for my family. We're starving here. Something's not right. Has that ever happened to you? Where you were taking the steps that you felt were confident for you to be the right steps as you followed God to the best of your ability. But things didn't turn out real pretty. So? So Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Do you see anything here that says God had said, Abram, let's go to Egypt. There's famine in the land. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been following along? You think pretty well with God and you're getting regular affirmation. Yes, I'm on the right journey with God. And then some circumstances happen. You say, clearly God must be very busy with other people. I guess I have to kind of take control here. And you put new coordinates into your GPS and you go off in another direction? What happens when you decide to chart your own course? Look back at the footprints of your life. You see, the choice to chart my own course brings change, and very often that's disastrous change. That's what happened to Abram. 
It tells us there, do you see it? As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, something that I'm sure every man in this room has said repeatedly to his wife, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Right, men? Your wife hears that like regularly, right? Yep, you're just like the first service. We just didn't want to have to say it publicly. But all the women in the, say, in the room say, Amen. I hear that so often from my husband, right? I, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. And they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So how about this? You say that you're my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Honestly, now, have you ever found yourself there? You took things into your own hand. You punched in your own coordinates on the GPS of your life. You charted your own course, and you found yourself in a set of circumstances that said, this is getting ugly, and the only way that I'm going to survive this is I'm going to have to twist the truth just a bit, maybe more than a bit. And you found yourself having to weave a web of manipulation, untruth, pretend about yourself, uh, about others, about the circumstances, huh? Honey, I love you and you're beautiful, but they might kill me because you're so beautiful. So tell them you're my sister. Well, sure enough, if you'll join with me in reading two chapters a day, you're going to read these chapters later today. And word got to the Pharaoh, there is a really beautiful woman who has just moved into town. And she's single, Mr. Pharaoh, according to her brother. So Pharaoh says, well, since I'm the Pharaoh of the land, bring her. Time for a wedding. And marries her. And we presume has relations with her. And of course pays her brother a dowry price. A wonderful, huge gift of flocks and herds. It tells us there in that chapter that Abram starts becoming wealthy. Blessed, you might say. God looks at this and starts inflicting punishment, illness, disease on Pharaoh and his family. And Pharaoh starts to investigate evidently and finds out I'm caught in a web of deceit here. Bring that guy Abraham. What's the matter with you? Why did you tell me she's your sister? I married your wife. Take her and get out of here. We don't want people like you around here. Ever found yourself there? where the web of deceit that you were weaving was backfiring on you all around. The choice to chart your own course brings change. Sometimes disastrous, painful change. So look back at your life. What do the footprints of your life tell you as you look at the journey that you've been on? So it tells us at the beginning of the 13th chapter, So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife, and everything he had and Lot was with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Do you suppose that Abram was maybe a little bit confused? <laughs> wow. If I was so wrong, then why did God allow me to accumulate all this stuff? Maybe it wasn't all that bad what I did. Can you almost imagine the struggle inside of him? Wanting to be a God-honoring husband, wanting to be a God-honoring man, but can't deny the fact that all around him, <laughs> almost so much stuff, he didn't know what to do with it. Have you noticed that one of the most dangerous things in our world is when everything is going right and you begin to accumulate far more stuff than you ever thought you would ever own? If you ever have a chance to meet a really wealthy person, my guess is when you ask them, they will tell you, 
There are many times I'd prefer to go back when life was so much simpler and I didn't have all this stuff. Life has really gotten complex for me with all my stuff. Sometimes change requires choices. For Abram and Lot, they had begun to accumulate so much. Their lifestyle change was now positioning themselves in a painful place. It, it tells us there in that 13th chapter, verse um, 5, Now Lot, who was moving about with them, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great, they were not able to stay together. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Where the journey of life has positioned you in a situation that on the one hand seems so wonderfully blessed, but on the other hand causes you to have to make some very hard decisions. For Abram and Sarah and Lot, family was everything. They were hundreds of miles away from home. In a new land, family was everything, but now they were having to make the decision, we're going to have to break up the family in order to survive and retain our wealth. Choices bring changes. Changes sometimes force you to make choices, even painful, difficult ones. This summer, we're going to regularly keep working through looking at examples in God's Word of people who made choices. Sometimes it worked very well, other times it went really wrong. Do you see what's beginning to happen here? Now maybe from where you're sitting, you're able to see that I've got some dominoes set up here. And you're wondering if you're visiting, what kind of a church is this that the pastor has dominoes set up? And you remember when you were a little kid and maybe your daddy set them up like that? Rarely ever is there a singular choice that doesn't have a ripple effect. Right? So when you think back in your life, can you see the ripple effect of the choices that you've made in your life? Some of which have been wonderful and you're celebrating the blessing, but some of which have perhaps brought you to a place in your life where you found yourself in the midst of very difficult, painful circumstances. So Abraham, verse 8, says to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. Let's break up the family. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Lot, it tells us, looks up, and he looks out over the land, and he chooses what he thinks is the best part of the land, the Jordan River Valley, and there were some towns there. And so it tells us there in verse 12 that Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent, where does it say? Near Sodom. Choices bring changes. Changes often bring connectivity, relationships. Abram chose to stay out in the open places with his family. Lot evidently had a little bit of a hankering for the good life, the exciting life, the bright lights, may I say, of the cities. And as he looked down over the plain, he decided to move down that way, not only because it was good pasture land for his flocks, but may I suggest he could hear the sounds of the nightlife in the city. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. I wonder how long it took lot to figure that out after he moved there and I wonder how, how long he wrestled with himself boy th this is not the way I was raised uh, this is not the kind of a place I should live maybe I should move 
but it sure is fun. So maybe I'll stay just a while. Hmm. And the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes from where you are and look, north, south, east, west. All the land that you say I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. God is continuing his covenant promise to Abram. The land, the land of Israel, God's gift to Abram and his descendants. So Abram moved his tents to Hebron and built an altar there to the Lord. Do you see the worship relationship that's growing? Hmm. Chapter 14, verse 12 tells us all was not good in the Jordan River Valley. There was competition between the towns. There was jealousy. And it tells us there that they began to invade one another. In verse 12, they carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions. He was dragged off as a captive of war since he was living, what does it say? In Sodom. Evidently, living near Sodom wasn't enough. And he decided, what am I doing living out here in this tent? I could rent that nice spot, that three-bedroom, two-bath place inside Sodom. And so he moved in and either rented or bought or built a house in Sodom. Do you see a drift? A change? Choices bring change. Choices result in relationships. Lot is beginning to form some relationships with the people of Sodom and their lifestyle and their culture. Meanwhile, God says to Abram, chapter 15, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And God took him outside and said, look up at the stars. Count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says, And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's a powerful verse in the Old Testament. That verse explains why Abraham and all other Old Testament people could be saved, even though the Lord Jesus Christ had not yet come and gone to the cross. His faith, in God's promise was no different from your faith and mine in God saying to us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Trust in the, in the completeness of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross in his atonement death and in his resurrection and I will save you, God says. It was credited to him as righteousness because he trusted God fully. That's why he's waiting for you and me in heaven, this Abraham. Sarai had a good idea, she thought chapter 16. So Sarai says to her husband Abram, uh -huh. it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. I wonder where she came from. Maybe that time when they went down to Egypt because there was famine in the land. So she said to her husband Abram, the Lord has kept me from children. Can I ask us honestly? How many times have you found yourself in those painful circumstances and maybe you didn't say it exactly this way but your heart was saying, God, this is your fault. My life is a mess and it's your fault. 
You could have prevented it. You could have stopped it. You could have not let these things happen. You could have helped me make the right choice. God, this is your fault. Ever been there? The Lord has kept me from having children. You hear a little resentment or bitterness maybe in her voice? Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Clearly, God is not going to keep his promise. I'm going to have to take over here and do it my way, she's saying. Ever been there? Abram agreed. Sounds like that happened once before with a man who was taking something that his wife was urging him. Try this apple. It's pretty tasty. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife, and he slept with her, and she conceived. And the child, Ishmael. And to this day, the Arab-Israeli conflict is rooted right there. Choices lead to change. There's no going back after that. Changes result in connectivity, relationships. As you read through these chapters with me in the next few days, it's amazing how God pours out his grace and his mercy to Hagar and her son. It's a beautiful picture of how he pours it out to you and me when we don't deserve it. Years passed, and verse 1 of chapter 17 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. Walk before me, Abram and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. He again reaffirmed his covenant for the land. He again promised him that he would have children. He initiated the covenant mark of the circumcision. Abram wondered, could it really happen? In that 18th chapter, three visitors come, it tells you there in the first verse, to visit Abram and his family. Abram made them a nice meal. It was wonderful. And one of those visitors promises, a year from now, your wife Sarai will bear you a son. She laughed. It's really too true. Look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll show you in the Digging Deeper this week, if you'll take it, that I believe the one who is referred to multiple times here in this 18th chapter as the Lord is actually an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who visited Abraham there. You'll remember, perhaps, if you know this story, that they negotiated, can I use that word, Abraham and the Lord, about Sodom and Gomorrah and the inhabitants there. The two angels, it says, verse chapter 19, verse 1, went on down into Sodom, and as they arrived in the evening, Lot was sitting where? In the gateway of the city. Do you know what that means? In those days... Uh, the, the judges, the rulers, the mayor, the chief of police, the leaders of the town would sit in the gateway, the entryway, the only way in and out of the town so they could see people coming, anyone who might want to do harm to their town. He could, they could see anyone leaving. The, 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 the official judicial business of the town was held right there in the gateway of the city. If Lot is sitting in the gateway of the city, what does it mean? He's now a recognized leader of the town of Sodom. Do you see the move? First he moved down and he pitched his tent outside the city. Then he moved inside the city and lived in a house. Now he's a recognized leader of the town of Sodom. And the two angels have come to say, Lot, it's time to leave. God is going to destroy this city. It's too terrible. Lot says, no. They say, yes, come now. And it tells us Lot hesitates. Finally, the angels have to grab him and lead him out. Do you see the progression, my dear friends, of choices that lead to changes, even changes of the heart? 
And do you see how connectivity very often can lead to choices? Abram's relationships with the people of Sodom were distorting his thinking. He was making repeatedly very wrong choices. God does spare him, and the angels lead him out. But it tells us there at the end of that uh, 19th chapter. So both Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. Lot impregnated both of his daughters. The older daughter had a son. She named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites. The other daughter had a son, Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites. Two tribes opposed to God's people. You see, my friends, how easily one choice leads to another choice leads to another choice, and there's a pattern, and the pattern enslaves you. Do you see how sometimes changes that are happening around you, some of which are not your own doing, but are forcing you to make a choice? Do you see how sometimes relationships influence your choices in ways that they shouldn't? Lot and his descendants suffered from both of those. The environment in which he had placed himself and the people around him, his friendships, had so influenced him that his choices were consistently wrong. That's why I'm urging you, if you're going to be a part of our summer journey, please consider becoming part of what we're calling our summer connections groups. If you'd like to be invited into one, use the tear-off on your worship folder today. Your name, your address, your phone number, and what night of the week or weekend would work best for you. We have 27 leaders who have already stepped forward. We're ready to launch the groups in the next few weeks. The groups will be geographical, as I mentioned. They're only going to meet five or six times during the summer. It's only summer groups. But we don't want anybody to be alone at Calvary. Become part of a friendship group. Walk the journey of life together with others. Work through the journey of choices and changes together. Don't be alone. The guys who are leading this movement with me will be at all the doors as we leave in just a few minutes. They'll have those green bags. You can put your tear off right there. And they're going to be initiating the calls to invite you into groups. If you'd like to be part of a group this summer, we invite you in. It's dangerous to be alone. And it's dangerous when you surround yourself with the wrong kinds of people. The reason I've chosen this particular theme for the summer, have you thought about during the summer, the hundred days of summer, how much change happens in many people's lives? More people move from one place to another, relocation in the summer, than in any other time of the year. More people buy homes and sell homes. People graduate, people get ready to go off to college and leave their families. Divorces happen, marriages happen, babies are born, people die. The summer is a huge time of change. And almost all of those changes are the result of choices. None of us can go back. We can't go back and fix any choice we've made in our past. The best we can do is adjust to it now. Do you look back in your life and you consider the journey you've been on? Do you see your pattern in making choices? Are you able to distinguish when you make wrong choices and why you do? Do you see the results of your choices, the change in your own life and in the circumstances of your life? Do you see the result of choices, friends, in relationships with other people? And do you see how often you allow the relationships to affect your choice? You find yourself making a choice that you know is wrong. You don't want to make the choice, but the pressure, the influence, the advice 
of the connectivity around you. You're living the journey of Lot. And it's a terrible, dangerous, dead-end, disastrous journey. Jesus says today, stop right where you are. Turn. Start making right choices, starting with your relationship with Jesus. Invite him today to be the ruler of your heart. Invite him today to look deeply into your life and begin to show you what is it in your life that is holding you back from making the right choices. What is it in your life pattern that keeps feeding the wrong choices? And look around you and see how your family and your friends and others have suffered because of your wrong choices and how you have suffered because of other people's wrong choices. This summer, let's invite Jesus to help us get this right. Let's talk to him about that. Lord Jesus Christ, we, we thank you so very much for your invitation to us today to understand that you've given us the gift of time and life. You've given us the gift of a brain that can think and reason. You've given us the gift of a free will, the ability to choose, but you've called us to live responsibly with our choices. We live in a world of rapid change. All of us are people connected with many others, and very often those others influence us greatly in our choices. God, I'm asking please that today would be a day of change for many of us in this room. A day where we decide from this day forward, Jesus Christ is the ruler of my heart. And he will lead me in the choices of life. And so we worship you, Lord Jesus.